May God's word be spoken, may God's word be heard, and may God's word be lived. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Welcome to St. Paul's. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we're glad you're here on Pentecost Sunday, and so many of you got the Wear the Red or Orange memo. Fantastic. The late Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, famously said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. There was something astonishingly attractive about the Christian message when it was first heard, making it spread like wildfire 2,000 years ago, something that drew people from across all our racial, sexual, economic, intellectual, and philosophical divides. That something, the gospel, had a simplicity, a surprising inclusivity, because it was the same message for every single human being, for me, for the re-elected Doug Ford, uh, for Tyler, for Her Majesty the Queen, for Tim and I's daughters, and for you. Here it is. God loves you just the way you are. And, and, because God loves you, God has no intention of leaving you this way. God is the ultimate change agent, loving us despite ourselves, and at the very same time, wanting to turn our lives upside down. And there's not a single person in this sanctuary or online who is not interested in changing something about themselves, wanting some aspect of their lives to be different, no matter how happy or content you are uh, this morning. God loves us, and God wants us to become more like Jesus. It's that simple. And if you're spiritually searching and not sure that that's a good offer, Jesus is the humblest and yet most confident person in all of history. Jesus is the strongest in suffering and yet still able to find joy in our, his daily life. Jesus is the life of every party, the most effective leader in every meeting, and the one friend who can say to you, I know what you're going through. Becoming more like Jesus, it's a good offer. Which is why Pentecost Sunday is such an exciting day, as we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, whose role it is to make us more like Jesus. Christmas was God being with us. Easter is God being for us. And Pentecost is God being in us. Through our E100 preaching series, we heard how God came to be with us in the flesh at Christmas. Then at Easter, God was unrelentingly for us by paying the bill for our sin and rebellion on the cross. And at Pentecost, we see how God wants to live and work within us, transforming us from the inside out. It's an inside job. God with us, for us, in us. Let's unpack this record from the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives and what that would mean for us, spiritual searcher and disciple alike. Now, before Jesus was crucified, he had promised his followers, who were beginning to panic about what to do without their leader, that God would send the Holy Spirit to be with them, and that this Holy Spirit was none other than the Spirit of the risen Jesus. 
and that the last breath that Jesus breathed on the cross would actually turn into a mighty wind that God would send hurtling through a top floor room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, an ancient Jewish harvest festival. God was going to make sure that Jesus' followers were inheritors of the breath of Jesus, and God was going to do it in eye-catching style. The disciples had been thrilled to spend time with the risen Jesus. He'd cooked them some meals. Uh, Presumably, there had been uh, some conversations long into the night. But about 10 days before the story that we heard this morning, the risen Jesus had ascended back to be with God the Father. Cue our passage from Acts chapter 2. There were about 120 of them on the top floor of someone's house, uh, the historian Luke records, not socially distant, moping around wondering what to do next. Do we go on LinkedIn and look for new jobs, or do we sit tight? When a holy hurricane burst upon them, and before any of them could get under a table, the hurricane blew through the entire house, sparking flames of fire amid the debris and mess, flames that didn't burn the house down, but instead landed on each of their heads, filling them with the Holy Spirit. God does eye-catching well. Then something pushed this new breath out of them into languages that they didn't speak. Back in the earliest mists of history, the Bible records a time when all humanity spoke with one language, making things a lot easier. But because we are, well, you know, human, we weren't content. And we wanted to take God's place in the world, and so we built a great tower, the Tower of Babel. And the impact of this act of folly and pride was that we began to fight, and so we descended into different languages. So it's not surprising that the sudden speaking in different languages that everyone could understand the beginning of the reversing of what happened at Babel had such an impact in Jerusalem on that day. Devout Jews gathered for the festival of Pentecost, they all knew the story of the Tower of Babel. And if not historically true, although the Babylonians did build great towers, ziggurats, this story recorded on the fringes of oral prehistory was and is a true representation of the reality of both human linguistics and human conflict. God does eye-catching well. And people from all over the world now came leaning in through windows and pushing through doors, surprised to hear someone speaking in their own language far from home. Libyans stuck their head in, expecting Libyans, Arabs, looking for Arabs, but all they saw was a bunch of Galileans, uneducated rural types, wearing the equivalent of of first-century construction gear, all of them going on and on about the incredible things that God had done throughout history. They were the ones preaching the E100 series, like a bunch of PhDs in Middle Eastern languages. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? In our languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. 
And before the day of Pentecost was over, that 120 had become 3,000. Confused people became certain, frightened people became bold, and the disciples who didn't think they could tie their own shoes without Jesus, they discovered abilities they hadn't had before. They opened their mouths and they sounded like Jesus. They laid their hands on sick people and it was as if Jesus himself had healed them, all because they dared to inhale. The spirit of the risen Jesus, the Holy Spirit, had filled them to overflowing, transforming them from the inside out. Peter, who had recently been too scared to even acknowledge that he knew Jesus to a slave girl, now he stood up and gave one of the most impactful speeches of all time. Think Martin Luther King Jr. giving a TED Talk. Peter takes all the Old Testament scriptures that his hearers already believed, and he demonstrated how they pointed to Jesus as the yes to all of God's promises. Peter starts with the Old Testament prophet Joel. God now pouring out God's Spirit on all people, no longer dwelling only on special anointed leaders. Her Majesty the Queen, 70 years ago, was anointed with holy oil in Westminster Abbey by the Archbishop of Canterbury. This was to represent her being anointed by the Holy Spirit, and it was the one part of her convocation that was deliberately not shown live on television. But the prophet Joel was saying that God would now not only dwell with monarchs, but would be within young and old, slave and free, men and women, a radical inclusivity that was and still is astonishingly attractive. God loves us just the way we are. But because God loves us, God has no intention of leaving us this way. How does the Holy Spirit, working as the ultimate change agent, work in our lives to transform us? Quickly, two things. Remembering that the purpose here is to make us in our daily lives, you know, picking up the kids from school, trying to get sober, studying for the LSAT, struggling uh, with loneliness. The purpose is to make us in our daily lives more like Jesus. Number one, it's the Spirit who takes objective knowledge and makes it subjective in our lives. It's one thing to know how many kilometers there are in a marathon. It's quite another thing to have actually run one. We can know lots about the Christian faith, but that doesn't mean we've met the risen Jesus and decided to follow him. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to take objective knowledge and make it subjective in our lives. You can know in your head that Mozart is magnificent music. It's quite another to hear the strains washing over you. For you to experience it, to sense it, that's the work of the Spirit, to take objective truth about who God is and make it experiential in our lives. Being experientially aware of Jesus in our lives, not just knowledge, that's what makes us more like Jesus. Two, the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus by being our legal advocate. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Well, the first century writer John that we heard in the gospel used a Greek word paraclete to describe the Holy Spirit, uh, and it's a notoriously difficult word to translate into English because it's made up of two Greek words. One is para, which means to come alongside, and the uh, second one is kleo, which means to declare or to argue in a court of law. And the Holy Spirit's job is to be our legal advocate, to come alongside us and argue with us and defend us against the enemies in our own heads. If, like me, you're learning how to follow Jesus, then there are going to be times in your life when you will make some terrible choice. And uh, a friend says to you, or your Twitter feed, can't believe you did that. And you call yourself a Christian. And as guilt grips your heart, the Holy Spirit is right there arguing with you. No, God loves you just the way you are, despite the disastrous choice you made. But, but God has no intention of leaving you that way. Repent, Jenny, repent. Return to the Lord who loves you. Or another way of thinking about how the Holy Spirit is our advocate There's a dramatic TV show called Interventions, you may have seen it, where people whose lives are being torn apart by drugs or alcohol are confronted by their friends live on television to to get them help. And the Holy Spirit acts like our loving friend who sees how choices we are making have the potential to destroy us in obvious ways, right, with drugs and alcohol, but also in more subtle ways, with things like comfort, leisure, wealth, because they can all lure us away from God and from living lives of sacrificial service. And when this begins to happen, the Holy Spirit will get us in a corner, take us by the shoulders and say, you're killing yourself or you're fooling yourself. I love you. I'm not going to let that happen. The Holy Spirit is a friend whose love has some guts to it, not just sentimentality, masquerading as love. At Pentecost, we see how God's love for us is not a pampering love, but it's a perfecting love. The Holy Spirit is a holy hurricane, not sent to pamper us, but to perfect us, to shape us into the glorious people that God means us to be shaping us to be more like Jesus Christ. So the Spirit whispers in our hearts, look at what Jesus has done for us, done for you on the cross. There's now nothing in this world that can ultimately defeat you. Nothing in this world, not even death, that can separate you from God's love and mercy. And if you've ever been aware of that fact in your life, maybe today's the first day. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Now, while I know some of them because you tell me, I don't know all the ways you want change in your life. There are character traits that you want. Integrity, ability to withstand peer pressure, the kind we experience at 19 or that still faces us at 49. You want to be confident you want contentment. So do I. And there are other changes you desire that you haven't told anyone. 
and whichever changes will make you more like Jesus, that the Holy Spirit can grow in your life. All we need to do is repent, which enables us to be open, ask, and then be patient. It's a lifelong journey. The worst thing I could do as a preacher on Pentecost would be to just talk about the Holy Spirit and not create space for us to encounter that Spirit. I make no claims to be a Peter today with a sermon that God used to turn 120 into 3,000. But let's take a brief moment now. I want you to think of one change that you want in your life that would make you more like Jesus. One thing. And we're going to ask God, the Holy Spirit, God in us, to begin that process of transformation. I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit, I'll leave a brief moment of silence, and then I'm going to invite you to join me with the prayer on the screen. It's from the 4th century, St. Augustine. So whether you're online or in person, let's bow our heads for some prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Change us, transform us to be more like Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Friends, join me with the prayer on the screen. O Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. Thanks be to God. Amen.